and welcome to the BPL podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Laser, and I'm here today with a very special guest, Bexley's own Maggie Smith. So Maggie, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Maggie Smith is the author of three books of poetry, Good Bones, The Well Speaks of Its Own Poison, and Lamp of the Body. Smith is also the author of three prize-winning chapbooks, and in 2016, her poem, Good Bones, went viral internationally and has been translated into nearly a dozen languages. Public Radio International called it the official poem of 2016, and her new book, Keep Moving, Notes on Loss, Creativity, and Change, a collection of essays and quotes, is forthcoming in October 2020. So Maggie, let's, let's talk about your new book, Keep Moving, Notes on Loss, Creativity, and Change. So that's due out October 6th. And so, so much of the advanced press about the book mentions things like accepting change, uh, being resilient, and pressing on. So what was the general inspiration for this collection? So it's, it's sort of funny, not ha-ha funny, but funny. I wrote the book during probably the hardest year of my life um, when my marriage ended, and that was the sort of impetus for, for starting to do um, the tweets, which then turned into the book. Um, and now the book is coming out in a year that's really difficult for all of us <laughs> collectively. Um, so it, it, it seems somehow fitting that I wrote this book when I didn't know what my life was going to look like in the next six months or a year. I just knew it wasn't going to look like my life in the previous six months or a year. Um, and sort of facing down the unknown and recalibrating sort of what, uh, what my life was going to look like and what was possible. And now uh, I feel like I'm sort of in that space again, but we're all kind of in that space where the lives we're living now aren't really the lives we were living last year. And we don't right. know what life's going to look like next year. I mean, I, I'm really keeping my fingers crossed that we might hit a point sometime next year where life starts to look not like it used to, but maybe not so much like 2020. Um, that would be great. <laughs> that would be really great. Be swell. It would be swell. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I think the, the sort of big takeaway for me of the book is sort of what do you do when life doesn't turn out the way you thought it was going to? And how do you kind of regroup and find hope even when things seem really dire. And I think it's also kind of about reframing your experiences. And so instead of just thinking like, oh my God, things are really hard right now, it's terrible, sort of reframing that experience as an opportunity to make big changes because the big changes are happening whether or not you're ready for them or not. So how can you kind of pivot and and make that change positive as much as possible. Yeah, I, I, you know, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but so how do you think, you know, with the world going through a pandemic, like these things will be received, like these messages? It almost seems like, like you touched on briefly, everyone is sort of going through this upheaval. So maybe it will land with more people or connect with more people. I, I mean, I hope so. I hope it brings people some some reassurance and and maybe a little inspiration to to keep moving forward and which is you know sort of where the title came from is not looking in the rear view so much and thinking about what used to be or what could have been or what might have been and not 
dwelling on what you've lost. Um, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. You know, the kids can't have a school year the way that they had expected to have a school year. And I can't um, go and read inside bookstores for this book release. And I miss concerts desperately. And I miss coming to the public library with my kids and letting them go through the stacks. There are so many things that I miss, you know, getting on an airplane and going to another place. Um, but instead of dwelling on those things, trying to sort of look ahead and look around too and appreciate what's possible in the present and what might be coming down the pike. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny. A, a lot of, really, the book is for me. It was born from tweets, and the audience for the tweets was me. Um, so the, the you that I use in the book is me. I'm just talking to myself. So they're basically like little notes to self or self pep talks that I tried to use to get myself up and moving every day and feeling, you know, functional in a time when I didn't feel very functional. And what I found when I started tweeting them was people would say like, well, sometimes funny things like, um, are you on my group texts or have you <laughs> been hiding in the office, like the closet of the office of my therapist? Um, like, I, you know, I feel like you wrote this just for me, or I feel like this is exactly what I needed to hear right now, or this is completely pertinent to what's going on in my life. So even though I was writing for myself about a very specific personal situation to me, I do think, um, in general, the quotes and the essays will be applicable to whatever it is that people are going through, whether it's divorce or a job change or a job loss or a scary diagnosis or just this thing we're all going through right now where we are all wondering what's coming next and we don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, even though you said, you know, the, the book, the collection was for you and it started out of, you know, it was born out of these sort of daily tweets and whatnot did. So did those, uh, the reaction to those tweets, like, did that sort of prompt you to, to make the collection in terms of like, oh, this seems to be connecting with people. Maybe I need to do something with this. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what happened. I mean, when, I, when I'm working on a book of poems, my object is to write enough poems that hang together tightly enough to make a book eventually. And it usually takes a few years to do that. With this book, I didn't know that it was going to be a book. I thought I was just tweeting every day to help myself. And as I started doing it, the response was really overwhelming. I mean, I really hadn't had audience response to anything I had put online since the poem Good Bones went viral. And it really surprised me, honestly, the, the feedback I was getting about these little tweets that I was writing in the morning, you know, usually before I even had my coffee, just to give myself kind of something to snap back to during the day if I started to spiral out a little bit in the middle of the day, I could kind of come back to that anchor. Um, and people were asking for a book. Um, it really came from, from readers saying like, I have been printing these out or screen grabbing them and sending them to my sister or people on Instagram were cross stitching them or using calligraphy and posting them in their house and, um, you know, making art from them. And I thought, Oh, so maybe these have, maybe these could be something that is not just in the ether 
that is something that could be on a bedside table or be given to a friend or family member when they're having a hard time. Because there's one thing, it's really hard to know what to do for someone when they're really struggling. And, you know, dropping off food is great and calling is great and texting is great and offering to take their kids off their hands for a little while is great. But um, it's hard to know what to do. And, and I think books make great <laughs> gifts for people when they're having hard times. I know friends sent me uh, books when I was having that really difficult time. So my hope is that this might be something that that people can can pick up at their independent bookstore and drop off or mail to someone they know could use it. Yeah, for sure. And these daily, almost like, I don't know if I want to use the word affirmations, but these, these messages, like I noticed, um, you know, when reading Good Bones and also your recent um, write-up in The Guardian, uh, they both sort of had this connection of like, things aren't going exactly as planned um, and you recognize sort of the darkness in the world, but also you're choosing to either say yes or choosing to see, you know, the beauty or the potential beauty. So like, how do you stick to a, a mindset like that? Or like, do you have any tips or like, <laughs> especially these days? <laughs> it's so hard sometimes. I mean, it really is uh, difficult to every day get up and think and try to be positive. Um, you know, part of what helps me stay in that space is, uh, my kids, because if I get, I think it would be a lot easier for me to get into a dark sort of hopeless mindset if it were just me here and there weren't other people looking to me and counting on me to show them the way through this. Um, and I feel like, I mean, I don't feel like I know it's my responsibility uh, to be honest with them about what's happening in the world. Um, and, and I am, but also to equip them to live in that world and equipping them to live in the world means not telling them that things can't be better than they are right now. Um, so that, I mean, that to me is, is it, it's, it's like looking at their little faces and thinking, okay, how do we get through this? But also just you know, for as bad as things are, everything is not terrible. And, you know, I think we often feel guilty. I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. The feeling of guilt of having laughing or having, a, you know, a really good day or really enjoying something or getting pleasure from something when the world feels so hard and heavy and so many people are suffering that guilt we feel in and having pleasure during hard times. But I think we have to, we have to celebrate what we can. We have to find joy when we can. Um, it doesn't actually, part of what we need to do to make change is have the energy to act. And I will not have any energy to act if I'm a hundred percent miserable all of the time. Um, and that's not what life should be for any of us. So I just think it's important to, to find those little pockets of joy and relief when we can and not feel bad about it. Yeah, I, I agree. Totally. I, I know that, you know, a couple of things came to mind during your response. One was, I mean, you spend a lot of time on Twitter and I'm sure you've experienced <laughs> this. Much, that's possibly the time. worst way to maintain a positive attitude and outlook. <laughs> I mean, well, certainly you have, you know, you have voices like your own 
where you're you're spreading some positivity and and good messages um but there's a lot of just very yeah. negative things going on out there yeah um, yeah yeah you have to like uh choose your um sort of curate your feed carefully right and yeah i mean that's true it's it can be it can be a really really dark and frustrating place to spend time but it can also be a really beautiful place to spend time and usually it's a lot of both but so is the so is the world off of the computer (laughs) that's true it feels accurate yeah and and more broadly like you know i it was funny when I was um, looking at the the public radio international, you know, the article about good bones and it, you know, it, it was saying that, you know, is 2016 the worst year ever or something like that. And it almost seems a little quaint <laughs> like four years on. Yeah. Um, but also I feel like, I mean, essentially every year it's, there's been some sort of like, that's been a thing circulating on the internet. Like, Oh, this, everything is terrible. This is the worst year. So, I mean, part of it is probably just like the the access, the ease of access to just numerous, anything bad that's happening can go right to your, yep. your device immediately. You find so out I, about it immediately. Yeah, exactly. And so like you're saying, I mean, I, I don't like certainly being aware and like, it's not saying that you can't do things about whatever the issue is, but also like you have to build your energy back up and be able to like tackle these things. And so you do have to celebrate, you have to maintain, you know, some sort of normalcy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything, do you have any upcoming events that you want to plug for the release of Keep Moving? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm doing an event at Gramercy Books uh, in Bexley on October 15th with uh, Saeed Jones. Ooh, nice. uh, we will uh, be at our respective homes. <laughs> We will be Zooming, um, but the the event information is on the Gramercy Books website. So I would encourage people to to come and and say hello, hello, and we'll be chatting about both of our books. And I think really sort of focusing our conversation on resilience and finding joy, sort of insisting on joy even in hard times, uh, maybe especially in hard times. Um, I have not needed joy so much ever. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, uh, I, in some ways it feels like being, um, being down is sort of a luxury that a lot of us can't afford right now because we just have to get to work, uh, at making, at making things better. And, um, I, I don't know. I think joy is part of that. I think joy is a big part of that. So, so yeah, I would, I would love to see, I would love to see people, uh, I will be in my office, <laughs> not at Gramercy Books, mm-hmm. but, uh, but Linda Cass has been kind enough to, to host the event. So I think, I think it'll be great. And Saeed is amazing and I'm really looking forward to the conversation. That sounds like an awesome program. What, what was the date again? Uh, October 15th and I believe it's at 7 PM. Okay. Definitely check that out how do you feel these days, um, you know, being a writer that's releasing a book? Like, how does that feel? Well, I mean, in some ways it's, this is not what you want. (laughs) Let's be honest. When you have a book come out, um, and you're supposed to be on book tour, um, and your book tour is happening in your home, 
It's not ideal. I mean, I really miss bookstores. I'm very glad um, Gramercy that I can walk to is open so I can go in masked and pick up a few books and I can go to the book loft if I want to and I can go to $2 radio and pick up my my vegan food and and get some books while I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I miss bookstores and I miss, um, it's just not the same to to not be able to sign a book for someone personally and have a conversation with them while you're signing their book and then hand it to them and maybe give them a hug. Um, that's always been what readings have been like for me. And it's, it's so much about that personal connection that books make possible. And so, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to have a book come out and have to do everything, um, on zoom. Um, but at the same time, I feel like while, uh, the act of getting this book out into the world is a little tricky and not ideal. Uh, The timing for the book coming out into the world feels right to me um, because it's a book about resilience and change and finding a way forward. And so it's not an ideal, it's not ideal and yet it's completely ideal at the same time. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. On one hand, the timing is, is great and also not great. <laughs> yeah, I, I see that. Perfect totally. and terrible. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I definitely, I get that, um, tr- like release some music in the past six months and that feels very different because it's like, well, if you can't do some sort of release sh- concert, yeah, like, it, it just feels like, you know, like you're, I mean, I'm, I know, you know, this, um, as an established writer, but you know, your, your window for catching people's attention is very narrow around the release of your, you know, your, your work. So it's like, it really feels like now it's just kind of, you're putting it out in the ether yeah. and like, hopefully it sticks. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're throwing a small stone down a very deep, dark well and hoping that's, that somebody's down there to, to catch it, but you can't really see them or hear them or touch <laughs> yeah, them. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the abyss is real. It, it definitely feels like that. Um, but I mean, I, I have never needed books or music more in my life than I have in the last, you know, eight months. I just, I'm, I'm buying more books. I'm reading more books. I'm buying and listening to more records than, and I, I mean, and I, I have always bought a lot of books and a lot of records, but now I'm really just breaking the bank because it feels necessary. And also it's a pleasure that I can have. I mean, if I can't go to a concert, I can buy the record and I can listen to it over and over. And if I can't go see this person read, I can buy their books and I can buy a couple copies and gift them to friends. Um, It just, it feels like it's kind of all hands on deck. And for those of us who tour either as musicians or as writers, we're all in in sort of a pickle right now. And um, it seems like the right thing to do to support each other by, you know, buying music and buying books and or requesting either at your public library so that so that they're available there too um yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah like you said the reasons are like there are multiple reasons um you know supporting artists in a time where there aren't a lot of gigs (laughs) for one yeah and yeah just for my for personal reasons like you know those are the things that you still can do you can listen to a record and read a book and like you know, find some escape or solace in that. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If I'm going to be stuck in my house, I'm going to have lots of books and music while I'm here. 
<laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, Maggie, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and chatting with us. Um, so again, so your new collection, Keep Moving, Notes on Loss, Creativity, and Change. That's due out October 6th. So be sure to pick up a copy at your local bookstore or request it here at the Bexley Public Library. I'm sure I'll have a lot of copies. Um, So yeah, Maggie, thank you so much. Thanks. It was my pleasure. 